0: hello and welcome to roi relevant or irrelevant the radio show or events of history are examined through the discussion of books journal articles papers and presentations then historians and history buffs ask the question what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world my name is john keely and this is the 539th show of roi our guest for today is brett menard flex school history teacher and roi staff member who is going to talk to us about how to decide if your student would benefit from a 2e specialty school joining us for the second half of our show is history buff ed broders so uh to begin with hey brett how's it going i'm living the dream i can tell this first segment is a little bit very much of farrook denarin and Uh, History is local, and our goal is to give our listeners a little background on today's subject. So, Brett, can you start us off with uh, some basic information
1: on what exactly 2E is? So, 2E is a relatively new term in education, uh, and it stands for twice exceptional. So, you're looking at a student who is at both ends of the bell curve. So has some abilities that are advanced compared to peers and uh, suffers from one or more disabilities that puts them behind uh, their peers. So the uh, easiest way for a lot of people to envision this is Asperger's syndrome, um, which is no longer in the DSM-5, but uh, gives you the autism spectrum side of things as well as um, advanced intellectual abilities
0: okay so why don't you provide our listeners um, obviously you're the one that uh, rightfully so wanted to talk about this topic on the show Uh, and we have had previous shows discussing some of these factors but what is it that brought you about to wanting to discuss this subject for today
1: so in the um, late winter, early spring of 2023, I uh, was participating in a an online conference about twice exceptional students uh, hosted by William and Mary, uh, and I gave a presentation on how to decide if a student would benefit from a to specialty school. So it was aimed at both parents and uh, educators and was more of a, these are factors to consider. Um, and how do you do, how do you have that conversation? What are the important things to talk about? Rather than, here's a flow chart. If these things uh, together add up to 12 or more, do it. Okay,
0: so let's take a look at the three uh, groupings uh, that are important in this discussion. So- okay,
1: so there's basically three places you can educate a kid um, for our purposes. You can send them to the local public school, you can homeschool them, or you can try and find a specialty private school that caters to that population because most private schools um, won't work well with these kids. Uh, They are resource intensive, they are um, inconvenient on both sides of the bell curve. So you have to figure out how you're going to provide the advanced opportunities for them as well as helping them accommodate Um, their challenges, and your standard private school looks at that and says, no. Um, So those are the three options that you have, and each one has its pros and cons. So with a public school, you have large numbers of instructors, you have legal requirements for certain services, Um, You have connections to specialists, uh, and it requires the least time and money from the family. Downside is a lot of public school district educators aren't trained in how to meet the needs of these kids uh, specifically. Uh, The field is relatively new. Just this year, they're founding the first uh, master's degree um, at a public university, just dealing with uh, twice exceptional students. Um, large class sizes make it difficult to provide some of the supports. Resources vary widely on uh, based on location. With homeschooling, and we can go into more detail with all of these later, uh, with homeschooling, it is very demanding of the parent. Uh, and you also have most parents not being educators. So a fair amount of on-the-job training. Parents are experts in their own kids. They are not necessarily experts in education. Then you have 2 specialty schools like Flex School where I work, uh, which are tailor-made for these uh, types of students, uh, but aren't a silver bullet. Um, There's relatively few of them. Um, most of the ones that exist are located around major metropolitan areas. So the closest one uh, to us uh, in our listening area would either be Minneapolis or Chicago. Um, And because they're um, private schools, uh, you have different requirements uh, that they have to meet and so it's important, kind of buyer beware. Check what accreditations they hold, that kind of thing, because some uh, focus more on um, kind of a therapeutic session uh, focus. Some focus more academic. Uh, so. Lots of things to consider when you're trying to decide what's a good fit for any given student.
0: Okay. We have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM.
2: In times of
0: joy. In moments of grief. Broadcasters come through, even when all else fails. Today, with more ways than ever to experience the moments that transform our lives, Americans still choose broadcast radio and television more than all other media combined. We are the local broadcasters of radio and television. Reaching more people. Touching more lives. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keely and this is the second segment of our show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest today is Brett Menard, FLEX school history teacher and ROI staff member and we're talking about how to decide if your student would benefit from a two E specialty school. Our history bus for today's show is Ed Broders. Um, I do have to ask this question: Are we staff members? Does that mean that you guys are getting paid? Yeah, uh, no, yeah, no. <laughs> I'm
2: waiting, uh, waiting for the check, or yeah, yeah. the. Uh,
1: 1040 uh, to just, submit with next year's tax. Dave could you bring
0: this up to the board please the next time you I see just, them. Just be glad you can afford Thank me. Thank
1: you yes exactly
0: well we're going to give the floor to, the Bre- uh, to Brett um, he was talking about before in the first segment of the show of um, the schools that can help the kids out the communities and environments that are there for them uh, he did mention that uh, the accessibility of these institutions are usually in large urban areas. Uh, before I uh, give Ed the question, I wanted to ask you, when you're talking about 2E, um, what kind of conditions, you were talking about, that they excel in one area, but they have difficulties in another, could you give our listeners like some uh, general examples of what this would be
1: like? Sure. So... A lot of the students that I work with um, are on the autism spectrum. We have a lot of students with uh, fairly significant um, ADHD. So at least uh, 75% of our student body is diagnosed ADHD. Um, You have writing disabilities, reading disabilities, uh, dyscalculia, so issues with uh, mathematics. So it really is kind of a grab bag. We also, um, for me, I work for the online campus. We see a lot of kids who somewhere in the mix have uh, anxiety disorders. So being in a school setting Uh, that can be loud and unpredictable is not a great fit for them. So they benefit from uh, being able to take classes from home. Uh, With the pandemic, we discovered that, you know, most kids, a virtual experience is not best for a few kids. They really enjoy it. And uh, a lot of them ended up working with
2: me okay ed yes brett um one of the first things that i thought of um, was how does this all fit and comply with the ada americans with disabilities act
1: so how it fits is with these types of school being private um, there aren't the same expectations that you would uh, have same protections that you'd have uh, necessarily with a public school. So there is a little element of buyer beware. You really have to research the type of school, the type of program you're considering um, having for your student and see if it is the best fit. So in a lot of these situations, unfortunately, you're looking for a least bad situation rather than an ideal situation. Because ideally, every public school would be able to fully meet the needs of every student who walks through their doors um, every day. And with these students, a lot of them, profile-wise, these are one in a thousand one in ten thousand uh, types of kids, so we have some of our student body where their home district uh, finds it to be cheaper to pay their tuition with us than to hire all the specialists they would need to uh, to provide everything that a particular student might need so that's arounded about way of answering your question with it does and it doesn't uh, apply to us.
2: So what kind of uh, special training or qualifications does a teacher have to have in order to work in this world?
1: That is something that is a matter of a fair amount of debate right now. Um, Because like I said, Teacher education programs don't prep you for this. Um, so I graduated in 2006. The first time I'd ever heard the term twice exceptional was 2010. I took a one-off class on twice exceptional students uh, from uh, University of Iowa in 2012 uh, because i had a kid on my roster as a gifted teacher uh, who i just didn't know how to provide uh, the services that he needed Um, and this year this coming year um, spring of 2024 will be the first 2e specialty program available from a state institution. Cleveland State uh, University Mm. is going to offer a specialty program with an endorsement, a master's and a uh, PhD option, all with uh, twice exceptional student uh, services as the goal. So most people who work for these schools have a background in either special education or uh gifted but it's something where the the certifications don't exist yet so it it is in some ways building the plane while you're flying it okay so um question then
0: uh what brought about and if you can't answer this i get it what brought about an institution like cleveland state Uh, to come forward with this much-needed licensure. I mean, has this been in in a process that's for the last 30 years? And did this kind of, because I know as a special ed teacher, um, special ed didn't really start reaching out to the public schools until like the 1970s. So is this kind of following a similar track? And uh, do you see more institutions doing this?
1: So... There was an acknowledgement within the field of gifted ed back in the 70s that these students existed, but they weren't really a focus. Um, Especially early on in trying to get uh, services provided and and figuring out uh, models to provide kids with what they need. You went for the low-hanging fruit first, and that is, you know, your type A uh, advanced academic kid who is willing to try everything that's put before them. After that, you had people starting to tackle underachievers, so people who were very um, capable intellectually but weren't producing for whatever reason. Uh, Either there was some exterior barrier or they just thought, I'm learning this for me, not for anybody else, so why should I have to show you what I'm capable? And the field kind of figured out methods to, to deal with that. And so now we're able to focus a little more on these very unique kids who exist on both sides of the bell curve, who, who are very high in some areas and very low. And that's one of the ways that you identify these kids. You need to do something called a differential diagnosis. So a lot of times this requires a full-scale IQ test. And for people who aren't aware of what goes into that, you're talking the better part of a day one-on-one with a tester um, who has at least a master's degree, if not a doctorate. Uh, that's the level of training that goes into uh, a full IQ test. It, it is much more involved than your uh, SAT or ACT test. And they'll look at things like processing speed and Um, verbal ability Um, and that'll spit out a bunch of numbers and if you see a lot of peaks and valleys then they're a good candidate for a program uh like the one i work at okay
2: ed yeah brett do you have any sense um your crystal ball being no better than anyone else's but do you have a sense about where this is all headed uh we did a show a couple years ago with uh about the uh, development of EMTs in conjunction with fire departments, and how it kind of started in Pittsburgh and then just spread like wildfire. Um, do you see? Uh, um, do you see that here, where once the foundation is set, that things really take off? Um, what's your prognostication? And if I may
0: add, do you see the federal government stepping in to make this a national? program or do you see it it's gonna you know have a lot of ups and downs
1: so to deal with Ed's question first um, the more we learn about uh, this type of student the more uh, we can see that this type of kid is out there and needs specialized services and most teachers uh, both in special ed and uh, in gifted will tell you that a lot of what they do is just good teaching. So it may be especially good for students of a particular profile, uh, but all students can benefit from pieces of it. So I hope that it is something that spreads, Uh, but I am not um, putting any money on it. So when I was going through my teacher education program, I had a class on uh, special needs students called psychology of the exceptional child. And we had 45 minutes overall on gifted kids period so depending on what state you're in gifted services aren't mandated at all special ed has a lot more mandated services but within special ed as a field there is not at least as far as i'm familiar with uh, a lot of information about gifted students, and about these twice exceptional kids. Now that's growing, but because one is funded federally and the other isn't, uh, there's a much greater emphasis on a student's deficits than their gifts. And part of what schools like Flex School do is we flip that on its head. So we are a strengths-based program, so we try and figure out what a kid is good at and use that to accommodate their challenges rather than having them uh, focus hour after hour every day just on the thing that is most challenging for them.
0: If if the government was going to put this center stage like it has, with and rightfully so with special ed, would it... Do you think that for the twicey kids that down the road, and I'm not saying it would be identical, but the equivalent of an IEP legally, I'm not saying it'd be the same procedures. I'm not saying it'd be the same process, but do you think that a you'd have a legal binding with something like an IEP?
1: Well, so you, you kind of do. So because these students have recognize disability that fall fall under certain federal laws. A lot of them qualify for IEPs and 504s. But again, the focus there is on their challenges. So it is easier to mandate services to help them deal with their challenges than uh, help reward their gifts or help emphasize their gifts. Uh, And that's what makes them kind of a tricky wicket.
2: Uh, Brett, for our listeners who are not familiar, all that familiar with the field of education, can you explain to our listeners what an IEP is and what a
1: 504 is, please? Okay, so an IEP is an Individualized Education Plan. Uh, It's updated every year, and it has the force of law behind it. So if something is in the IEP, a specific kind of service. So a typical example would be a student gets extended time to complete a test. Uh, you are mandated by law to provide that service. Um, a 504 is basically an IEP lite. Um, without getting too much into the weeds. So these tend to be for less um, significant challenges or things that uh, might be easily handled in a classroom as opposed to uh, requiring some sort of intervention from a specialist. So an example of a 504 accommodation would be you have a kid who needs to move around so you let them have um a fidget or a ball or something they can squeeze and manipulate during class or you let them you make sure they're wearing soft shoes and you let them pace in the back of the classroom because that's what they need to focus but it's not something where they would need specialist services for like a reading disability
0: okay so What do you see, I mean, this is again looking back into the crystal ball, Um, and we do it a lot on this show for different things. What is the biggest challenge that you see for getting um, two ease uh, the educations that they deserve? Uh, Is it going to be done at a, uh, is it going to have to start at small levels like it is and then eventually over the decades grow or is a lightning bolt going to have to come from the feds to get recognition?
1: So the thing that I see as the biggest challenge is these are resource intensive kids. So for example, I had a student who as a, Sixth grader is taking calculus, but reads at a third grade level. So, have that is a hard kid to figure out how to serve. Right. Um, very resource intensive, uh, very time intensive, um, with... Some of them being on the autism spectrum. Um, if their uh, if their needs and their skills aren't both adequately met, uh, they have uh, meltdowns, which is unbeneficial for everyone involved. Um, because you can imagine how ch- how frustrating it would be from their perspective. You know, I I'm able to process math on a college level and I process, I share reading skills with a a littler kid and either you put me someplace where I'm only dealing with that deficit or you put me in the middle because the two can mask each other. Right. And then I'm not getting any of my needs met. Okay. Uh, So I think resources is the biggest uh issue partnered with lack of information so like i said i'm someone with a master's degree in education i learned about i've known about this for less than 10 years gotcha Um, and i'd be willing to bet good money that it didn't come up once in your special ed program back in the whenever's uh, um, job
0: gifted did but not this no um when we come back we're going to wrap things up so please stay tuned this is ROI on KALA St. Ambrose University 106.1 FM you're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant
2: plus Apple Podcasts.
0: ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes the 539th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme, which was written and performed by Mark Zaptel. My name is John Keeley. We would like to thank our guest Brett Menard, Flux School high school teacher and ROI staff member who talked with us about how to decide if your student would benefit from 2E Specialty School. The history buff today's show was Ed Broder's. It, this is ROI, relevant or irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotso Pulanala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night.